0: Everyone and welcome to Soccer 101. My name is Joe Lowry, and on this episode, we're talking all about football groups or soccer groups, whatever you want to call them, based on your current location is just fine with me. What is a football group? Well, to best answer that question, we need to go back to Manchester, England, circa 2008. Before the turn of the decade, from the 2000s to the 2010s, Manchester City wasn't a particularly successful club. They'd fallen out of the Premier League as recently as 2001, after an 18th-place finish sent them down to the English Championship. Although they'd returned to the Premier League soon after, they then established themselves not as the perennial title contender they are today, but as a decidedly poor First Division team. They finished 9th one season, then in 16th, then in 8th, then 15th, then 14th. The results were poor, and so was then-club owner Toxin Shinawat. Well, as a billionaire and the former prime minister of Thailand, Shinawat probably wasn't entirely strapped for cash. But in 2008, he did have assets worth about 800 million pounds, frozen because of corruption charges that he was facing in Thailand. So in 2008, Manchester City was in a bit of a pickle. The on-field stuff was bad. The off-field stuff was bad. How on earth was the club going to get back on track? Well, What's a way to fix almost any problem inside or outside of soccer? Get someone to throw money at it. Which is exactly what happened in Manchester. In the summer of 2008, the Abu Dhabi United Group formed and bought Manchester City. What on earth is the Abu Dhabi United Group? Well, I'm glad you asked. ADUG is a private investment company that belongs to Sheikh Mansour bin Zayed Al-Nayan, who is a member of one of the ruling families in the United Arab Emirates the new ownership did, in fact, start throwing money at Manchester City. They broke the British transfer record to sign Robinho from Real Madrid in September of 2008. And in 2009, they spent millions and millions of pounds on players. The money that they paid paid off, and Manchester City finished 5th in the Premier League in the 2009-2010 season, 3rd the following year, and one year after that, they won the whole league. Since that 2009-2010 season, Manchester City has never finished outside the top five. Okay, okay, I know what you're saying. You're saying, Joe, we love season-by-season breakdowns of Manchester City's finishes in the Premier League. We love them so, so much. But what does this have to do with football groups? Well, the answer to that question is everything. Kind of. When the Abu Dhabi United group swooped in and bought Manchester City in 2008 and the club started to have some success in England... ADUG's eyes started to wander abroad. They'd turned Manchester City into a powerful asset. Why couldn't they do the same thing with other soccer clubs around the world? As it turns out, they could. In 2013, the Abu Dhabi United Group became the majority owner of New York City FC, one of Major League Soccer's newest expansion teams at the time. ADUG now owned two soccer teams, one in Europe and one in the United States. This was big and it prompted some organizational restructuring in the Man City-ADUG hierarchy. To oversee both the men's and women's football teams in Manchester and their newly acquired soccer team in the US, ADUG established something called City Football Group. Aha, you say, there is the seemingly elusive football group term that we've been waiting for. And you're right, there it is. This seems like as good of a time as any to give a definition of what a football group actually is. It's a group of teams from different places around the world that play underneath the same ownership. In City Football Group's case, those different places were Manchester and New York City. At least, that was the case in 2013. Hidden in a 2012-2013 Manchester City annual report, buried somewhere beneath paragraphs about partnerships and sponsorships and pages of incredibly detailed financial numbers, somewhere in there was a key little sentence foreshadowing City Football Group's future influence. The sentence read, The new city football group, CFG, established this year, will now oversee the operations of Manchester City Football Club, Manchester City Ladies Football Club, the newly established New York City Football Club, and other potential future initiatives. Now, as far as I'm aware, they've stopped holding the understatement of the decade awards due to the global pandemic. But if those awards were still being held, I'm quite confident that the annual report's line about other potential future initiatives would have been a strong contender. Since that report was published, City Football Group's potential future initiatives turned into the acquisition, or partial acquisition, of clubs all over the world. Australia, Japan, Uruguay, Spain, China, India, Belgium, France. In less than a decade, City Football Group's potential future initiatives turned into a global sporting empire. Before we go deeper into our analysis of football groups, today's show is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Whether you're a supporter of the Red Devils, Blues, Citizens, Hammers, or Gunners, the easiest way to watch all English Premier League action this season is with ExpressVPN. Not only that, but ExpressVPN lets anyone in the world get the cheapest EPL subscription on the market. Instead of paying for an expensive cable package, you can watch all live EPL games and full replays for less than 4 quid a month on Peacock Premium. The catch? It's only accessible from the United States. That's where ExpressVPN comes in. It lets you change your online location to a country of your choice so that you can access content that's otherwise locked in your region. So, for our British listeners or anyone else outside of the United States – You can get access to all 380 of this season's EPL games, plus hundreds of shows like Saturday Night Live, American Ninja Warrior, and Peacock originals like Brave New World. Just fire up ExpressVPN, connect to the United States, subscribe to Peacock Premium, and watch. Go to expressvpn.com slash soccer to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN free on a one-year package. And this goes for everyone, not just our international listeners. ExpressVPN.com slash soccer gets you three months free. Again, that's ExpressVPN.com slash soccer. Thank you very much to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode of Soccer 101. Now, let's get back to football groups. While they are the biggest, City Football Group isn't the only football group out there. There are other owners or ownership groups that have major investments in multiple clubs. In 2017, the decision-makers at Atletico Madrid bought 50% of a professional team in Mexico. King Power International Group have Leicester City and a Belgium first division club listed as their subsidiaries. The Premier League's Watford and Serie A's Udinese are both owned by members of the Italian Pozo family. A bunch of other, smaller football groups have popped up in recent history. But perhaps the other most notable one, outside of CFG, and the one that's been around for even longer, is Red Bull GMBH. I think it's safe to assume that you've heard of the Red Bull brand. But to eliminate any confusion right off the bat, GMBH is an abbreviation for the German equivalent of a limited liability corporation. Like King Power International Group or Abu Dhabi United Group, Red Bull GMBH is another gigantic corporation interested in sports. In 2005, Red Bull bought an Austrian club and changed its name to Red Bull Salzburg. One year later, Red Bull expanded across the Atlantic and took over the MetroStars changing their name to Red Bull New York, or, more colloquially, the New York Red Bulls. Next came a team in Brazil, then Germany, then another team in Austria, and then most recently, another in Brazil. Thanks to people and financial corporations with some really, really deep pockets, football groups have become fixtures on the business side of the modern game. The question is, why? Why do owners and ownership groups go out and buy multiple clubs? Well, outside of the fact that owning multiple shiny toys is way more fun than owning just one shiny toy, multi-club ownership is a way for individuals or private groups to diversify their portfolios. When you diversify your investments, you limit the amount of risk that you're dealing with. If you're investing in the stock market and you put all of your money into car company stocks, you're going to do great, as long as those car companies keep selling cars. But what if a company starts making jetpacks and all of a sudden people don't want cars anymore? they want jetpacks. So they stop buying cars, start buying jetpacks, and leave you with some seriously devalued assets. Buying some car company stocks, some jetpack company stocks, some airline stocks, and maybe even some non-transportation stocks limits the risk of any one asset going bad. A portfolio that's spread out across a bunch of different areas has a way better chance of maintaining its value compared to a hyper-focused portfolio. Diversification protects investments. That's a big draw for football group folks. But it's not the only draw. Football groups also offer the chance for businesses to go global. Expanding into markets all over the world creates opportunities for football groups to elevate their commercial presence and brand recognition. It essentially boils down to this. Why have only some people know about your brand when you could have a ton of people know about your brand? The more people that know about you and interact with you, the more opportunities there are to make money. Which, lest we forget, is the end goal for these globally-minded football groups. But if we do step outside the money for a moment, it's also very much the case that well-run football groups give themselves a competitive advantage on the field. If the New York Red Bulls have an incredibly talented youngster coming through their youth system, guess which European clubs are going to get the first chance to sign him? That's right, RB Leipzig or RB Salzburg. To be clear, this exact thing happened in 2019 when young United States men's national team star Tyler Adams moved from New York to Leipzig, staying underneath the Red Bull GmbH umbrella. The player movement system moves from the bottom up, and it also moves from the top down. If Manchester City has a good but not quite Premier League-ready young player, they've got a small army of other City football group clubs ready to give that player some minutes. With the football group ownership model, there's a chance for consistent roster improvement for every team in the group. There's also the pretty unique chance to create and use a unified tactical identity at every club in the group. It's not easy to do, but installing a high-pressing, fiery defensive style or a pass-and-move possession style at a handful of teams across the world gives your football group a tactical brand and streamlines player acquisition from clubs that are both inside and outside the group. The business and on-field benefits of a football group are clear, but there are challenges, or at least questions associated with them too. What happens when two teams owned and operated by a lot of the same people meet in a major competition? Is it a conflict of interest? Well, it might be, but that didn't stop RB Leipzig and RB Salzburg from facing off in the Europa League in 2018. UEFA has rules against two clubs with close ties playing in the same competition. But after some finagling, Leipzig and Salzburg got the green light. Setting the whole conflict of interest thing aside, like UEFA already have, do multi-club ownership groups depersonalize soccer? Are global soccer motherships really able to connect with fans and create opportunities to elevate the local communities that surround their assets? It looks like we're going to be asking those questions for the foreseeable future. Recently, there have been reports saying that Red Bull and City Football Group are both trying to acquire a professional club in Russia, to expand their empires. Football groups, it seems like at least, are here to stay. That wraps up this episode of Soccer 101. We talked about what football groups are, learned about a few of them, and pinpointed why they exist at all. I'm Joe Lowry. Thanks for listening, everyone.